This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me today is Fred Moreland, who did not just try to steal my bank information. How are you, sir? I, I'm doing well. I have a long track, track record of not stealing bank info, and I'm just proud to say that I kept that up so far this week. Yeah, you've done a very good job, and not the person in Houston, Texas, trying to use my money at Walmart. Well... Unfortunately, CM Punk may have to be using Walmart here soon because it. it I'm getting the, the increasing feeling that he will no longer be with the company, Fred. And a lot of that uh, is coming from speculation by Wade Keller on his last podcast. Um, and there were some very interesting things um, that he ended up saying. And one interesting piece of speculation from uh, Keller was that uh, there was belief by people in AEW that thought Tony Khan was more excited about what he could do with Punk than what he could do with the elite being Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. Now, there's a lot that's going to come out of this, and we're going to talk about it, but what did you think about that line right there, that uh, he would be more excited about Punk than Omega and the Bucks? Yeah, I assume at this point, since we're recording this on Monday, uh, the 24th of October, that uh, that everyone's heard that a buyout is likely. Meltzer reported on it. I think Keller has either reported or speculated on it before. We've got uh, Fightful talking about it now, so it's making the rounds. Uh, and it seems like an inevitability at this point that CM Punk will be bought out from his contract with AEW. There will be no return. This is it for him. Um as far as the idea of Tony Khan being more interested in what he could do creatively with CM Punk as a character versus the elite, I mean, I, it makes sense to me because CM Punk had been gone for so long that even, you know, like his run in AEW was not even a year. I mean, he was under contract for a year plus to this point, obviously. Uh, but a lot, you know, a solid chunk of that year he was out injured. So he wasn't able to use him. So let's just call it six months or so. Um, maybe seven once you include the, the mini comeback before the second injury and all the other shenanigans of this year's all out. Um, but there's just a lot of meat left on that bone that we're not going to get to see play out in, you know, AEW television with who they have or what, you know, anyone they might've wanted to line up against him. You know, cause just think about the roster. Like it would have been great to have a Kenny Omega uh, feud. It would have been great to have him do something with uh, Brian Danielson on such a high level. Um, you know, you can just go right on down. The MJF, uh, what, MJF was clearly being set up to feud with him in the near future, and that would probably be a big deal for MJF's career, and we, we've lost that. Uh, so I get it. I get why he would feel that way. I don't take that as like a, oh, I'm stuck with, you know, I'm stuck with these losers. As much as, you know, just between the two, there's a lot you can do, a lot more you can do with CM Punk because he presents a lot of uh, new, fresh opportunities, even after uh, a year under contract. Yeah, he really does. And the fact that, you know, we kind of alluded to it, he was out for so long kind of gives even more credence to the idea that, hey, there's a lot of meat on the bone with this guy. 
And unfortunately, he seems to have really sabotaged his own career by the events of Brawl Out. Um, a couple things that were very interesting that uh, Keller alluded to. Punk was at first seen as accessible and approachable, but not a locker room leader. Um, there was some jealousy regarding Punk's salary, which may have been over $3 million a year. And I think uh, what was really interesting that I think we should go deeper on because of this whole situation, three Keller sources in AEW speculate that if the AEW locker room voted on his return, it wouldn't go well, with two of those going as far as to speculate that he would not receive a single vote to come back. Wow. That, yeah. that is about as big of a burial um, without actually saying anything mean or disrespectful as you could possibly have. Yeah, that's um, that's a hell of a statement right there. Uh, I listened to the podcast. I originally took these notes that were going over uh, by going over someone else's recap of Wade Keller Then I actually had time to listen to Wade Keller this morning. Um, and the interesting thing with it was that one person just outright was like, oh, he wouldn't get a vote, a single one. And then there was another guy that Keller said he was talking to, and he said these people are in AEW and like are respected people within AEW. And one of them, you know, he was talking with, and that person, the second person, said he wouldn't do well to vote. And Wade then brought up, "Hey, I've heard from this some other person that he wouldn't get any votes." And the second person goes, "Well, yeah, they're probably right, or they could be right." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think it's the fight. You know, like, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, interest over the fight uh, because, I mean, it's a fight. Let's let's be real. And it got real public. But the real worst part of the whole situation was the press conference freakout of CM Punk that really undercut the company, undercut t- Tony Khan, uh, undercut a bunch of on-screen characters. Um, you know, it's like the uh, in-ring shoot back at Hangman Page for the comment that no one remembered. Uh, where he emasculated a top baby face because he was mad, real mad. Uh, it, it's just uh, really he, CM Punk did no favors for AEW, and this was this went beyond just like settling a grudge into like just trying to burn the whole thing down because he was mad, got up in his fifis. Just a just a wild, wild situation here for. Um both for AEW and Wade Keller. And yes, yeah, CM Punk go to therapy 2022 challenge. <laughs> well, I, at this point, I don't think therapy is necessarily going to help a 40 uh, some year old punk. Who's just a, a bitter crotchety fellow. Never too late to change. But yeah, I mean, he just was so, so mad. And, you know, there's all these other factors you could point out. Uh, like for example, at all out after he won the title, they were doing the in-ring celebration uh, the crowd started chanting for MJF in Chicago, Illinois, which up to that point had been like the hottest, you know, local crowd for any wrestler in decades. Uh, and CM Punk might have been put off by that or offended by that, that they were chanting for a younger heel. Um, over him, he might have just known that his arm injury was serious, that he wasn't going to go away for a while, and he may have just decided to really crank up the uh, intensity of his post-show comments uh once that happened but it definitely felt like it was something they had planned on doing as soon as he stepped into that press conference probably planned on it god knows how many days before and uh here we are you know just a wild wild situation uh you know uh wig keller did intimate that um that if 
he, what he's heard is correct. This, you know, it's not official or anything, but he's heard that Punk has a very high cost attorney, low respected attorney that he is using right now. Um, and, and, you know, I've talked about this a couple times now, but the thing with attorneys, with legal fights, is if you want to fight the fight, then it can really come down to who has more money. Mm-hmm. So if Tony Khan wants to waste that money just to win, that option is on the table for him. Uh, I don't know that he does. Uh, he might just want CM Punk to go away. Just, you know, kind of a, we've had this issue and I just wanted to end situation. It'll be interesting to follow that. Um, and of course, there's the speculation of, you know, there of uh, will he go to WWE, CM Punk, once his uh, contract is up and any kind of non-compete clause is satisfied, which will be interesting um, because the thought is that Triple H, Paul Levesque, may be more willing to bring him in than Vince McMahon would have because Vince very much took a tact uh, towards his last few years of we've already got all this money wrapped up. It's all guaranteed. I don't need to, I don't need people rocking the boat. I don't need to deal with this bullshit. I'm in my seventies. I just want to, you know, do questionable things sexually, allegedly. Um, and yeah, so he was just like, okay, Braun Strowman annoys me. Get him out of here. Bray Wyatt annoys me. Get him out of here. Triple H is much more in a position where not only will he personally benefit if he brings in someone like CM Punk because he'll be able to point at how he is a good leader for WWE because he got such a big name to come in that previously it was thought of as impossible and the boost to business that might bring, likely would bring, with someone like CM Punk coming in. But also he's just more of a, you know, more willing to put up with possibly some bullshit right now. He might actually be better at handling it than old Vince was between the two, you know. Uh, I can't imagine Vince McMahon in his 70s had much flexibility. That's kind of matches what all the stories about Vince McMahon over the past decades plus has been. Uh, Paul may be more willing to work with people. Just mm-hmm. speculation. But that's uh, Wade covered a good bit of that, too. Um, Wade also said that he thought that the locker room is, in general, better than uh, it is being portrayed. Of course, we have the drama of the CM Punk, a steel um, elite fight. Uh, and on that note, I don't think we actually have said that Ace Steel was released last week officially. Uh, I think we covered that on the last show. Did we? I couldn't find it in my notes. Uh, and uh, just in case, I thought I'd toss it in there. Did we cover that Ace Steel uh, apparently on his secret private Instagram that has gone public, but only with a couple posts people captured, uh, sent out the part of Blues Brothers where they're singing with Aretha Franklin and in the middle of respect, they start singing Freedom. And so Ace Steel clipped that and sent that out. And the reports were, you know, someone asked Dave Meltzer on his own message board, did he do that because, did Ace Steel do that because he thought he was going to, you know, get released? And Dave Meltzer said, no, actually, it was the opposite. He thought he was going to come back, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of an amazing sentiment to have, considering what all he did in that circumstance. Um, Anyways, uh, that's kind of beside the point. but, but Wade Keller's big point was that backstage, it is actually good right now, and uh, that there is good leadership there in spite of public drama like the Elite and Punk and also Samuel Guevara and Andrade and all the stuff with Thunder Rosa. Um, but that uh, three people stepped up to fill the leadership uh, gap backstage, and that's been Jericho, John Moxley, and Brian Danielson, which has been talked about before in other reports, mm-hmm. but that he thinks that 
none of them by themselves would be a, a perfect or a great even necessarily leader for the for the locker room but the three of them together have kind of they meld well together <laughs> you know just somehow their personalities perfectly fit together to take care of this and so things have been really good since uh that kind of that gap was filled by those three it's almost better to have multiple people in lockstep yeah. than it is to have one, especially because just like look at the the people, the the kind of personas that we know both uh, or Jericho, Moxley, and Danielson to be. All three strike me as very different individuals. Jericho is more of a flamboyant guy. John Moxley is, I want to to sit at the bar and have a drink. Well, now it's an NA beer and yeah. just kind of leave me alone. And and Danielson is just like whoop de do I'm going to, I'm going to go be vegan and, and hang out with my wife and kids. Like they, they all kind of give a different, um, different vibe and, yeah. and just live their lives and, and who they are just, just different. And when they all step up in leadership roles, you, you're going to fill different niches. And I think that that has really done a good job and how they have been able to help this locker room over the course of this tumultuous last couple of months has been really, really nice. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think that they all bring different things to the table, obviously, and that you know, being able, to, like you said, being able to have different people in charge of just rather than just like one dominant figure is going to be beneficial because different people react well to different kinds of coaching or different kinds of advice, and having three experienced veterans like that with these just completely different, you know, life experiences and professional experiences leading to this point in their careers. Um, would probably be beneficial as well. Uh, also of note, I think, uh, is that two of the people, Moxley and Jericho, have signed extensions recently that made a big deal in the press releases about how they're going to take more of a formal leadership role. Um, and I just thought that was of interest. Uh, I don't know if we should expect anything with Brian Danielson coming anytime soon since he came much sooner than the other two, but just something to keep in mind, I thought. Yeah, it's a... Um, very, very interesting. Um, and I, I'm really intrigued to see kind of how this all goes. Um, was there anything else worth mentioning from the Keller interview? I think we covered everything that we needed to. I think we covered most of it. Um, one thing is that, uh, one note that got me to laugh, uh, was that Keller noted that CM Punk is a big fan of unscripted promos. Uh, but being a, you know, Involved in a company that does unscripted promos means you should probably have a thicker skin than otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that kind of initially led to some issues with uh, the little shot from Hangman Page about workers' rights um, that kind of helped precipitate all this. I'm not saying that's like the only or main cause, but it sure did help. Uh, But yeah, I think that's it, basically. Uh, Things in general, you know, that covers most of it, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And we can kind of continue to move on. Um, one of the big news stories from uh, Tuesday Night Titles was the fact that Adam Page um, did suffer a concussion in the main event with John Moxley, which had to be stopped. He took a flimp up off a of lariat, and it I don't know if the concussion got happened because of the flip bump, but he landed a little awkwardly, and it felt like he it, the first thing that ended up hitting the ground was his head. So... Not necessarily sure if that's what caused it, but he ended up not being able to finish the match. They loosened the bottom rope to take him off on a stretcher. 
And AEW is receiving praise in the mainstream media for the how they handled Adam Page and his concussion, especially what, what has been happening with the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa over the past few weeks. Uh, Deadspin even wrote an article um, directing the Dolphins to look at how AEW handled Page and his concussion uh, as far as what they should be doing moving forward. Really disappointing end to what was a very fun and brutal match. But then the good part is Adam Page seems to be in good spirits. He seems to have a really clear projection as far as his health is concerned as of right now. And the result of the match was not changed uh, due to injury. And I think considering everything involved, I think this ended up being a pretty big win for AEW. Yeah, you never want to say someone's lucky for getting a concussion, but in this circumstance, I think that's fair. Because the alternative, if he was going to have an injury, is that he was going to have some kind of neck damage, and that's not something you want to mess with. Um, yeah. You know, a, a broken neck could be calamitous to his career, and it's just his health. I mean, look at Big E. Um, it's still not really clear if he's going to get back in the ring. He, 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 apparently, he wants to, and he's planning on it. We'll see, just because of the particular vertebra he broke. But also this year, Shinjiro Otani in a 0-1 match uh, is still paralyzed from a broken neck that he suffered in that. Um, so it was a very scary moment, of course. Um, fortunately, he was okay, re- again, relatively speaking. Uh, we don't know when he'll be back because he's in the concussion protocol and concussions can be very funny um, in the sense that you know they could just resolve within a couple days. They can never resolve. Um, Adam Cole has been out for the majority of the year with a concussion. Um, I, there's no real word on him coming back anytime soon, uh, which is, you know, frightening. Uh, but Hangman Page will hopefully not have such a long recovery. We'll be able to come back uh, sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And all the best to Hangman Page. And and like you said, it is a little weird to uh, to call a concussion the best case scenario. But considering what it looked like, yeah. I'd, I'd say it's pretty a pretty fair comparison. Um, one thing you have written on the notes today um, is something that you sent to me last night to watch, and and I'm just going to read it verbatim. Athena committed murder, and what a interesting dark elevation match she had against Jody Threat, and I believe that was taped in Toronto. Whoa, yeah, she, she's from uh, Toronto, so yeah, that was good. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately brought out a bunch of the worst bad faith people when it comes to not just pro wrestling discourse, but AEW discourse. And uh, certainly no one would ever have any racist thoughts about a African-American performer whatsoever. Um, yeah, it was just a really dumb argument that people like really propagated on social media about there being some kind of, you know, like a shoot fight between Athena and Jody Threat. And, uh, you know, if you watch it, they get, they, they're snug. Athena always works pretty snug, I think. Um, and, um, it just looked like a match really. I mean, if, if I hadn't have heard about there being some kind of calamitous, uh, I guess that's my word of the day, calamitous, some kind of terrible incident in this match or something, I wouldn't even watched it, but I put it on. It was like a four minute match. It was pretty irritating for what it was. And it was just Athena hitting hard and Jody, you know, hitting hard back and, I mean, it, it's a whole bunch of nothing, but it got made the rounds, got a lot of people, got a lot of the safety police people uh, very upset, and then it brought out the people who make money by going out of their way to talk bad about AEW, um, 
and who uh, are willing to trade their reputations for that to uh, continue doing that. So just a tremendously stupid situation where absolutely nobody learned anything. Yeah. Those people need to learn what professional wrestling is because they obviously don't. That is good, hard-hitting professional wrestling, and it felt like watching the match, because we've seen the Ivalese matches where things take a turn in the ring and it becomes an actual shoot right. because of uh, non-cooperation. Because at the end of the day, these wrestlers have each other's lives in their hands and they want to make sure that they keep each other safe. But the whole point is this illusion of complexity where you want the illusion that it's absolutely brutal and it's painful and it's literally trying to kill the other person, but it's really yeah. not. And that's all this Athena stuff was. It was a well-constructed, hard-hitting match that looked brutal, but Jody Threat was really not in any actual danger. No, no. It, like, there was nothing in this match that made me think that Athena was taking liberties with her whatsoever. Um, it was just very, I mean, it, I think maybe at one point they got off the same page with each other, but they got back together pretty quickly. Um, just filled it with some stiff forearms. Like, you know, I, I haven't actually watched it, but I've heard about that 19, like early 90s AJW training documentary about uh, the the Joshi uh, training that was going on at that point in time in the All Japan Women uh, Company. And um, I mean, I, I'm sure that if these people that are genuinely shocked by how intense this match was watched that, they'd probably all just pass out in horror. Uh, you know, assuming they're genuine, which I don't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just really dumb that this is even a thing that we have to talk about. Uh, but here we are covering all the stuff in the circle of AEW, and this is one of those things. Exactly, and we're not going to spend any more time talking about the bad faith cheeseboard men and women of the world. We're going to move on to an interesting topic, which is uh, you have titles Sean Dean versus Dave Meltzer. Speaking uh, it, of dumb things. And it all started where Meltzer... Um, uh, wrote in the Observer, I'm not sure what the story is, but it was noted to me that a lot of the extras who were close to Thunder Rosa, like Kylan King, who seemed she was about to be elevated, um, Maddie Rankowski and Jasmine Allure haven't been booked as of late. Um, and you noted, Fred, on the no on our notes here, King's last match was um, August 24th. Rankowski's last match was March 23rd, and Allure's July 14th. And this wasn't something that Dave was necessarily saying for sure, but it was something that it was noted to him and thought that it was interesting. Sean Dean's response tweet was, it's the kind of careless reporting like this causing unnecessary issues and problems for no reason. You have no info, yet you still report this dumb BS. All those talented women are in good standing, so whoever brought that to your attention is a liar and a fraud. Well, that's dumb. <laughs> like... It, it's Tyler, do you know what the the Streisand effect is? Uh, is is it Mecha Streisand? Because I like no. Mecha Streisand. No, the Streisand effect is a so-called term for the internet when uh, basically there's something that happens and because you're offended by it, you bring attention to it. Uh, because Barbara Streisand once sued a photographer for taking aerial photographs of her house and that made everyone on the internet look at those pictures of her house. Uh, because she didn't want people to be able to see her house. And as a result of her lawsuit, everyone in the world, or at least I was aware of the story, went and looked at her house. If Sean Dean didn't want anyone to like, if he thought this was not worth even acknowledging, you know, any that there wasn't anything to it, then what he should have done is just ignore it. 
I, it, the quote you read from Melitzer is the entire paragraph regarding it. There's no other mention in it before or after in the newsletter. It's just these. Somebody pointed this out to me. It's weird. I don't know what it means, if it means anything, but I'm noting it in here. Next paragraph, let's talk about Paige Van Zandt. <laughs> like, that's literally how the observer goes. Um, by tweeting about it, Sean Dean brought a lot of attention to it. Now, I know that uh, there are certain people in the wrestling business who think it's always a good idea to roast Dave Meltzer because it gets them brownie points with other certain segments of wrestling internet. But this is a case where it brought a lot more attention to an issue that really most likely is nothing. It's likely just they haven't been in Texas or near it, so for the most part, they haven't been bringing them in, like uh, Dean implied or said. Um, but because he made a big fuss about it, a lot more people are aware of this, not just that Meltzer wrote about it, but also the fact that these three women haven't been used. Um, I do think it's kind of weird, uh, personally. Like, the Rinkowski and uh, Allure absences, they that doesn't mean anything to me. They never really seem to be anything more than local talent or uses, mm-hmm. anything like that. It really did feel like that they were going to start pushing Kylan King back a couple months ago, and then they just stopped using her completely. Um, I don't think there's anything in that that connects it to Thunder Rosa whatsoever. What I what I would imagine, if anything happened there, is that Kylan King just lost the advocate for backstage uh, with Thunder Rosa going away, and that may, may have impacted her getting booked. Is there a guarantee that impacted her getting booked? No. But it could have. Uh, and if so, that's not some kind of big conspiracy that uh, an anti-Thunder Rosa force backstage is now taking out our friends, too. It's just, well, there's some there's a pattern here. Draw from it what you will. Kind of reporting from Meltzer. Yeah, it's, it's worth monitoring and, and being aware of because it's easy to put A, B, and C together, especially when A, B, and C are already linked. Um, look... Could it be a bunch of nothing? Could it just be something where AEW is just rotating people in and out? Absolutely. I bet but my it, money that it is just that. Yeah. And especially with uh, Kylan King, who seemed to be um, on an elevation pattern, but we all we remember her, her big singles match on Dynamite had almost no reaction from the crowd, which yeah. is partially because Kylan King is not over. And that's not her fault. It's, she just has not been a pushed commodity, and it's hard for somebody who's never been pushed to be over on a level that, that you'd like to see for a, a match on Dynamite. And I'm just reading nothing into this. I think Sean Dean's response is just, it, you're just feeding into the cornets of the world. And yeah. I, I, I don't know what he thought he was going to accomplish by tweeting about it at all, but he sure did. Yes, he did. And something else that we're going to talk about here, AW Dynamite's ratings from um, Tuesday Night Titles. 752,000 total viewers, a .26 in the 18 to 49. Good for eighth on the night. Everything was behind, I believe, baseball and the debut of the NBA. So I'm not really concerned about that number. They had to move days. Losing about 25% of your audience feels about right. Especially when you're going head to head with NXT on the same night. Mm-hmm. Um, who, by the way, they they got six hundred and seventy six thousand at a point one eight in the eighteen to forty nine, and they were eleventh on the night. And they I think loaded up, their show. The- yeah, they they did try to load their show. I mean, they didn't super load their show. They could have gone further, but they definitely did bring in a bunch of uh, stars from the main roster to try to spice it up and make it more appealing. I think both companies should be happy with the numbers they got. I think they both did well. Uh, considering all the competition they had. 
Um, there was speculation that AEW could have been hurt or helped by the playoffs, and I really don't think either happened. Uh, the playoff game preceding it, where the Yankees, I think it was here at the Yankees, eliminated the Guardians, rest in peace, uh, 2022 Cleveland Guardians season. Um, it's okay, the Yankees season is done too, so you can feel yeah. Uh, they had like 45 minutes between that game ending and the show and Dynamite starting, but also Dynamite didn't have to get pushed back or anything or move to like true TV TV. So all in all, it didn't really have any effect on them. I, I, I think, um, so all in all, I think AEW should be happy. I think WWE should be happy. I know that WWE was really hoping that they could, uh, you know, pull off and, you know, pull off a win here and beat AEW in the ratings. They didn't, but. I think both numbers are very good with all that competition. Yeah, I, I think it's good, and I'm not reading anything into it. Um, uh, when Thursday's ratings come out at 3 o'clock Central Time, I fully expect AEW to be right around a million, right around 0.34, like they've been living for the past month and a half. I, yeah, I don't they, really see that changing. No, they, they've got a bump of their numbers recently, uh, but nothing major uh, from that, like, they, they hit their apex and they have been hanging around there. Uh, I don't think there's any concern right now off the TV numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of TV numbers, something that may do some business, Ultimo Dragon discussed wanting to wrestle Chris Jericho one more time and doing so in AEW. I don't think it's a matter of if at this point because of everything that Tony Khan has done as far as the history of wrestling and um, bringing in the great Muda and then letting Sting go wrestle in Japan. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time before we see Ultimo here uh, wrestling Jericho. When do you think it'll happen? Uh, I'd assume sometime soon. Uh, probably maybe after the pay-per-view, you know, I would guess. But I don't know. I haven't kept track of, like, if Ultimo Dragon's in the States right now, and if so, for how long. Um, what I have heard makes me think that hopefully we'll uh, see that be a tag match of some sort. Um, I think Ultimo's best days are rather far behind him unfortunately in the ring but it would be cool to see just because that was a hell of a rivalry all over the world and mm-hmm. um dragon is a is an all-time legend in terms of his in-ring performances and his importance to the business uh so i think tony khan would completely geek out and be happy to do this on the dynamite oh it would be a lot of fun and it would be something to continue to honor the history of wrestling give fans a unique spectacle, which is exactly what this is. And I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, moving forward, um, Conan was on his podcast and he was talking about Santana and Ortiz and he straight up said they do not get along and that Santana wants more focus on them and Ortiz is happy with where they are. And I think we've we kind of already knew this was a thing especially when Santana was taking a lot of solo indie bookings before he ended up tearing his ACL um, at blood and guts. None of this should really be a surprise, but it is a little disappointing that we genuinely may not get proud and powerful back together. Yeah. You've talked about this recently about how the depth of the uh, tag division is hurting in AEW and the loss of that team. You know, of course it was already gone for the short term, short term because of the ACL injury to Santana, but the loss of Proud and Powerful as a tag team does hurt that division further. Uh, they're currently having uh, Ortiz team with Eddie Kingston. Uh, I don't know if that's just a short-term thing. Of course, they're, they've been associated for quite a while on TV. Um, and they kind of played into what they're doing there a little bit on Rampage this past Friday. 
but yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. Uh, I think Santana definitely thinks he can be a main eventer somewhere. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does once he's healthy, if he's still under contract with AEW, or if he jumps somewhere else to try to accomplish that. Yeah, that just a really disappointing end to a phenomenal tag team. A um, couple of financial notes here, Fred. Matt Hardy and Dan Housen are in the top 10 of revenue earners off of Cameo per betting.com. That shouldn't really be too much of a surprise, especially considering um, Matt Hardy with the delete gimmick uh, from the Broken Universe and Dan Housen being one of the funniest individuals I've ever seen. Good for them, making a few extra bucks, barely doing any work. Yeah, this is uh, this was a look they did at just the athletes on there. So there may be non-athlete people that are the uh, that are bigger stars, but the top ten uh, was led by Mick Foley, who was pulling in about uh, four hundred and forty thousand pounds uh, per year. This is a British site, so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the top five or top ten also contained uh, at four Bret Hart, um, Matt Hardy at nine, and Danhausen at ten. Interesting. Good for them. Sammy Guevara will be working the broadcast of the next Floyd Mayweather fight. Today I learned there was another Floyd Mayweather fight. Um, And then Bobby Fish will also be making his boxing debut on the show. I'm intrigued to see why Guevara is working this fight. And I'm wondering if it has to do with the connection of Bobby Fish to try and um, bring in some more wrestling fans to the product, especially because boxing is... Look, as popular as boxing is, it is nowhere near what it was in its heyday. And I think you can trace a lot of the downfall back to um, the mid-80s with some of the BS with uh, um, Sugar Shane and all those guys. Um, very interesting to see Guevara here. Yeah, um, I I kind of wouldn't be surprised if the people that are putting together these Mayweather exhibitions where he fights non-boxers... Uh, would try to get Guevara in that spot at some point if they see him as someone that could generate interest considering his position in AEW and uh, everything else on social media with him. So, Absolutely. Um, Jericho said on his podcast that he pushed TK to sign Soraya. It's no his surprise. fault. <laughs> I, after the uh, initial kind of really crappy promo segment that we've already talked about. I haven't had a big issue with what she's been doing, which has just been pretty straightforward brawls, but Mm -hmm. yeah. We'll see how it turns up to. Gangrel talking about another member of the women's division. Uh, He trained Paige Van Zandt, said that she has not appeared, and I'm very curious what that means, Fred. Yeah, I did. That uh, was me like not completing a sentence. Uh, She has not appeared uh, at her training sessions with him in quite a while. So it, it is implied, basically, that she's, at least for now, done with pro wrestling, uh, which is a shame because it really felt like she could have been a star, like an immediately star, immediate star in AEW if she came in uh, with full interest and went all, all out, pardon the pun, to uh, try to become a star there. Uh, maybe she'll change her mind and come back more seriously in a year or two. But, you know, it's a, kind of a shame because she did feel like uh, she had the potential of a breakout star kind of like a Ronda Rousey, you know, coming into wrestling, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not to the same level of fame, obviously, but something akin to that. And it just didn't lead to anything. They, they practically forgot to promote her for the pay-per-view, which I think may have had something to do with the uh, training or lack thereof that she was doing. And, um, but that's where we are. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because when you take a look at, um, 
at Paige Van Zandt. One, she's a physical specimen. Two, she's very attractive. Three, she's an excellent athlete and she can legit fight. She has really everything that you can you can think of when it. And talks she looked good in those segments setting up that match too. Yeah, that, um, everything about her screamed breakout star, and that would have been really really cool to see her actually kind of grow and develop within the product and with this women's division look we harp on the women's division not being great and it's not necessarily their fault there's just not enough depth if you can't keep running the same programs and we kind of saw that at the beginning of this division where nyla rose was always at the top and it just felt like hey let's get some new blood in here and now they have new blood now that's really been shuffled down and they're trying to diversify but there's only so much you can do without a lot of depth they're slowly starting to build it up but they need more of it in order to really take that division to the level that they'd like it to be. And I thought Paige Van Zandt could have been the catalyst of it. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, again, if she decides to come back, that could work out really well. But right now it just doesn't seem like that's in the cards. hundred um, percent. Let's talk about a couple more things here, Fred, and then we'll, we'll get to, um, some dynamite and rampage thoughts, including a couple questions as well. Um, Brian Muster, he was AEW's lead video engineer, died unexpectedly on October 19th at the age of 36. He was with the company since it opened, and he had previously worked for TNA for 10 years uh, from 2008 to 2018. Just an awful string of luck uh, for both AEW and the wrestling this year, last couple weeks. We've seen people pass away way, way, way too young out of nowhere, and it's like all we can say is best wishes and condolences to everybody. It's it's just awful. Yeah, terrible news, really. Um, thoughts with all his friends and family. I thought AEW did a very classy thing by uh, airing a short tribute to him after Rampage's conclusion this past Friday. Um, that was very nice. That uh, Excalibur said some very nice words about him. And um, but yeah, just a tragic situation. There's a, a GoFundMe for him. Uh, we can link to that in the show's description this week. Um, but yeah, just a very, very sad situation. Very much so. Um, Fred, what do you say we get into this dynamite? Sure. Because it was it was very interesting. Um, we had four titles on the line, and it ended up starting off with the trios match with Death Triangle, the champions, um, Pac, uh, Pentagon Jr., and Ray Phoenix versus the new AEW All-Lighting Champion Orange Cassidy and the best friends Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. This was fun. This yeah, this was, was just, a match. They just kicked the living crap out of each other. Um, and then the end, um, Ray Phoenix uh, got the uh, got the best friends with a double cutter. And then I believe he – I know he hit Trent, but I think it was some kind of pile driver variation. And then he ended up getting the pin. Look, I gave this four and a quarter. I thought this was excellent, fast-paced. These teams gel well together, they, and they just beat the living crap out of each other. Yeah, I, I really liked this match. It was uh, very special, uh, just a, a ton of fun, and I went four and a half on it uh, as far as star rating. Uh, just a great way to open the show. No, it, it was a great way to open the show, and as we kind of continued throughout Dynamite, uh, they jumped right into um, – Tony Storm versus Akaru Shida for the AEW Interim Women's World Championship. And this ended up being pretty good, but 
I don't think it was quite near the level of the first match. And Storm ended up getting the win um, with uh, the Storm Zero. And after the match, you had uh, Hater attack Storm. And then Riho came down to save the day after Soraya charged Britt Baker on the ramp. And it's it feels like we're going to continue the story of Britt Baker and her squad versus the baby faces. And it overall, I, I thought this was fine, but that's really about all I can say. I like this one a lot. I like the match a lot, I'll say. Uh, I went four stars on it. I thought they were just very intense when they worked together, and uh, I thought it was very fun. Um, I did th- note that uh, in the promo segment before this, uh, Hader and Baker were talking about how one of them was going to end up with the world championship, pointedly not saying the interim one. Um, and it was done in such a way that Hader was like, yeah, one of us will. And it was very much teasing something or other coming with the tease turn that they were going to do. Then they stopped teasing for a little bit and now we're back to it. So, Yeah, just overall good match. I give it three and a half. Just really fun stuff. But yeah, I, th- I thought they could have gone to a different level and maybe we'll get to see that down the line. Um, followed that up with Renee Paquette backstage with FTR. And they were talking about um, how they even though they have all these belts, they want the EW World Tag Team Championships. Swerve and Our Glory interrupted. And because of that, we are going to have a match next week for the number one contendership for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. I thought this segment was overall pretty good. They both had a claim to the number one contendership. And now they're going to decide who is the actual number one contenders. Yeah, uh, that match will be happening on Wednesday this week. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully mm-hmm. it'll be as good as uh, I'm hoping it will be. Uh, but yeah, this was a basic segment that set it up well, and it keeps uh, also pushing the eventual turn in Swerve and Our Glory. So we'll see where that goes. The next little bit was uh, Jay Lethal's backstage with Darby Allen, and they agreed to no physicality. But then they got rid of... Uh, Alex Marvez and they got physical anyways. And this was awesome. Um, yeah, this is a good segment. Lethal lowered the garage door down on the abdomen of Darby Allen. They were beating him up. And then he puts in the figure four on the other side. And I just, I thought this was tremendous stuff. I don't know where this J lethal stuff is going, but I'm very intrigued. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere other than just Darby winning a feud uh, to keep him on the strong side. Um, and Jay Lethal is in a position where I don't think they're going to push him where you should expect him to win a feud against uh, Darby Allen. It could lead to an eventual face turn. I kind of hope not because I do like the stable with Lethal, uh, Satnam, and uh, Sanjay. Uh, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. And next up on the show was probably the best promo segment of all time. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic in saying so. Um, Tony Schiavone uh, has William Regal in the ring. Before Regal can say anything, he's interrupted by MJF, where MJF goes on a diatribe and talks about how when he was 19 years old, he ends up um, meeting uh, Regal at a WWE tryout, and Regal tells him, hey, you know, we can't sign you now because of your age, because he was only 19, but you keep sending me stuff every month, and you are going to get there. I like Regal was willing to put his name on MJF, and then... After three months, MJ uh, Regal sent a pretty negative, harsh message, and MJF u- said he used that as motivation to get there. And just excellent stuff from MJF. But then Regal was like, fired back and said, hey, 
I sent that to, to light a fire under your ass and it worked. And now challenging him to, hey, it's one thing to use these all the time, point to his brass knucks, but use them when it's necessary, not to just win like a coward. And overall, Fred, this was God tier stuff. Regal felt like the ultimate heel when MJF was done talking and he won the crowd over at the end. This is what we were hoping to get from William Regal. Real passionate energy. And I, I don't think I can give this enough roses. Like all the gold stars. Yeah, this was this was an absolute all-time top-tier segment. I'm not even going to bother trying to add to the recap because it's just something you need to watch yourself. Uh, like I said in my written review a couple weeks ago, every once in a while, AEW does like a WWE-style talking segment that goes 10 or 15 minutes. This was one of them. But the thing with AEW is when they do it, it's stuff that matters. It's stuff that counts. They make it, make sure that the pieces are there to make it an all-time segment. And that's what this was. Um Regal did the best work of his entire AW career here. Uh, this is what you want to see from William Regal at this point in time. And there were some questions, I think, before if he would be able to get to this level mm-hmm. because he kind of uh, struggled at points, you know, previously in his AW run. He eventually settled into being a guest commentator pretty well. But as far as uh, in-ring promos, I don't think he had anything that even sniffed this level of uh, excellence that he was able to accomplish with this and MJF. I mean, it feels like every week that MJF comes out, cuts a promo and it leaves people saying that's one of the best promos of all time. Uh, he has always been in his entire AEW run, like a special talent, but he's, it feels like he's just hit another level with his ability to present himself as a character in the ring, his ability to use a promo segment to get over himself and his storylines. He's just, as hot as he can get right now, it feels like, um, as far as performer. Uh, it was very impressive that Regal was able to get the crowd back to where he was a babyface because I thought he was doomed as soon as the uh, MGF was done with basically his half of the segment. And this also helped set up, um, you know, the eventuality, what happened eventually at the end of the show with uh, setting up the MJF challenge of John Moxley, um, where. Basically, Regal told him to not be a coward and to actually fight uh, face up, you know, straight up. And uh, MGF did that at the end of the show after teasing that he would be WWE style cashing in for several weeks. And I, I think that needs to be really put into focus here because it wasn't just that he challenged him to be a man and go, go the right way in, in his words, not take another shortcut. But he turned his back on MJF, spread his arms out, and be like, okay, hit me. Yeah. Take a cheap shot. And MJF was like, like looking just furious and he was clenching his fist and he was about to, but he never did. And Regal looks at him. You still have a lot to prove and walks out. And that's going to set up what you mentioned where uh, MJF does end up challenging for uh, that AW world title. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, overall, this MJF is already an all timer and, He's 26 years old. Like I don't That's think we've wild. I don't think we've spoken about somebody being an all timer at 26 years old. Maybe since Rey Mysterio Jr. Maybe Okada, because when he was 26, I think that might have been when he had his like super long reign. Um, that would have been 2014. So he actually already 
may have had no he had not had the longest reign yet in the yeah. iwgp history but he was already a well-established top star mm-hmm. uh but it, you'd have to go back to okada i mean there hasn't uh and in north america i mean i think you do have to go back to uh probably mysterio um you know maybe brian danielson uh after him but it, it is just apparent that mjf is special and not just like I think Willow Nightingale, for example, I'm not bearing her, but you know, mm-hmm. between the two, but this she's got a, a lot pro of Willow podcast. Yeah, yeah, she's she's got super charisma. She feels basically like uh, Babyface Bailey from the NXT days before she got Vince McMahon for a while. Um, I just, you know, but MGF is like a completely different level of prospect. You know, it kind of feels unfair calling him a prospect at this point in time. It's kind of like saying that uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is a prospect. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, Giannis is one of the best players ever already. Like in that, yeah. the, the top 50 conversation, the only question is how much higher we'll get. MJF is one of the greatest promos of all time. Uh, it's already apparent. And he's the case is only gonna get, going to get stronger and stronger as he advances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just all time stuff. And the next couple of weeks as we lead into full gear are going to be even better. Uh, next up on the show, we have Brene Paquette um, back, and they are obviously getting their money's worth with Renee, and she has done a tremendous job with these uh, interview segments. Interviews with Eula and American Dragon, Brian Danielson, and Danielson said he was disappointed that he lost to Jericho, um, but he has a lot of high hopes for Garcia, and Yuta was pissed. Just looking at him straight, Brian, have you not been paying attention? He's clearly using you to get what Jericho wants. Claudio gets it, but I guess it doesn't mean anything to you, clearly, and just and then he ends up walking out of the interview and Danielson looks dejected. I'm very intrigued to see where this gets set up. I know that uh, Jericho and I believe Hager next week on Dynamite or tomorrow, as as you guys are listening to this, ha- have a match against Danielson and or sorry Utah and Claudio Castagnoli. And very... it's actually it's actually Jericho and Garcia, I believe. Oh, it's Jericho and Garcia. Okay, well. Two Jericho Appreciation Society members. So yes. that it's this is evolving into a different realm because it was um, that they had the blood and guts match, and this is continuing to grow and adapt. But this Garcia stuff is making things really interesting, and I'm wondering. I, I'm going to hypothesize here a little bit. Could this be the outs for Brian Danielson for Black Bull Combat Club? It could be the end of the group. It could just be Yuta leaving, or even Yuta and Claudio leaving. I guess um, though that seems less likely. Um, I will. I mean, but I, I love the storyline. Although I will say that I thought it was a little hotter when Daniel Garcia was trying to do his own thing, at least to some extent. Um, his coming back, and you know, we'll talk about that uh, later. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Yuda, this is really elevating him, too. It's easy to forget that because, like, two weeks ago, it felt like Daniel Garcia was about, just about the surest next big star in AEW in a while um, since MGF's rise, really. Um, but Yuda has been really helped by this, too. Uh, it's He's doing better on the mic. He's not great yet, but he's improved noticeably since the start of the Blackpool Combat Club affiliation with him. Um, and he just seems a lot more confident. But yeah, I thought this was a really good segment. I'm looking forward to where the storyline progresses to. 
Absolutely. And next up, this was fun. And this might have been a lot of people's first exposure to Dalton Castle and the boys as the Ocho takes on uh, Dalton Castle, one third of the Ring of Honor World six man uh, tag team champions. This was awesome. And it was Dalton Castle just literally just throwing Jericho around. And then he ended up doing the spot. And if you've never seen it, it it's a lot of fun. He's like, give me a boy. Then he just throws the boys at people. And like, it really makes me sad that Castle's body has failed him as much as it has because his charisma and his ability to work a ring in a crowd is excellent. And in a just world, he'd be making millions of dollars a year. Absolutely. And if you were to look back, like drop this guy into 1984, Jim Crockett, Oh God. <laughs> oh, like it, it, he would have been fantastic. His gimmick would have gotten incredibly over. You're talking about him and guy working with guys like Ric Flair. Those matches would have been incredibly hot. Oh yeah. This match ended up getting really hot and Jericho ended up getting a nasty, nasty looking uh, Judas effect to finish the match. Um, and just thought it was out of nowhere. Um, Jericho said he was going to smash the ROH belt um, across Ian Riccoboni's head, but then Jerry Lynn walked out and stopped him, and then he spiked Jerry Lynn with a tombstone pile driver on the belt. Are we getting a Jerry Lynn match with Chris Jericho, or is this just a one-off because he's Jerry Lynn, and I believe he was an ROH champion. He was. And this is one of of those ways where he's going to take out every ROH champion. Um, honestly, if we get Jerry Lynn on TV, I don't know that that would really, uh, maybe boost the viewership or anything, but I would love it. Um, it'd be pretty amazing. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was just a great, great match, a very fun match, great post-match. Uh, this was very much about not just, uh, the charisma of Jericho and Castle, but I mean, Castle took like 90% of the match. Jericho gave him a whole lot here. Mm -hmm. I made him, you know, let him look as good as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the, just the entrance for Dalton Castle, like it's obvious that they wanted him to get over here. They really helped him, you know, they gave him the opportunity to get over and, and he just, I thought he just knocked it out of the park. You really did. That was, it was just a tremendous match. And I also love Jake Hager hat enthusiast. <laughs> um, that was, Wearing. that was fun. I mean, very goofy, but fun. I liked it. It was probably the most interested I've been in Jake Hager in his entire career. Look, uh, I love how they use Hager, and we all know why he's here. Because oh, yeah. He's here because he saved Jericho's life. He's but... solid at being muscle. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just like whenever there's like a singles match with him, I'm like, oh, you know. He's, he's not overpushed. The only time he got a world title match was in, in the heat of the pandemic. Yeah. And they were just trying to get eyeballs on TV. They were trying to have regular title matches. All right, let's heat Hager up real quick. And it ended up being pretty good. He's booked. He's like Dan Housen. For what he is, he's What a comparison. Perfect. He's just booked perfectly for what he is. He's just a meathead muscle guy. He has occasional matches. And he's not overpushed. It's he's com- He's 100% inoffensive for this company. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I don't really have a problem with him, you know, his place on the roster or anything, but I do enjoy him enjoying bucket hats. <laughs> it's it's just fun. Um, yeah. And then finally, the main event, John Moxley versus Hangman Page. This was fun. 
And John yeah. Moxley was bloody within three minutes because it's John Moxley. And uh, Hangman Page didn't even let the bell hit. He jumped Moxley during Mox's entrance, and they fought through the crowd, and then they got into the ring. And you could tell this was just a fight. And unfortunately, they did exchange lariats, but the lar- the second lariat ended up being to Hangman Page, and that is when they ended up stopping the match, and he was diagnosed with that concussion. This was on pace to be like a four and three quarter star match because they were kicking each other's asses. Yeah, it was really setting up to be something special. Uh, and, and you know, the thing with wrestling is so often with these injuries, it's just fairly basic moves. And Paige got hurt off a, a clothesline and a flip bump. You know, it's not entirely clear which one did it. But the, uh, I mean, at the beginning of this match, he did an Arihara moonsault off of a balcony. You know, like ten feet above the ground or whatever it was, and uh, you know that he came out of that unscathed. But it's the lariat that put him down, or the bump ensuing from. You know, just it's what a business. The way athletes get hurt makes absolutely no sense, just because it's so incredibly random because of what they're actually doing. Yeah, um, and like they could have gotten hurt twenty minutes ago, and all of a sudden the adrenaline kicks in. They take one step. Oh, there goes your ACL. And yeah. it's it's just weird. But th- the most important thing was they handled this incredibly well. They did not show replays. Nope. They kept the camera off the ring. Paul Turner it. did a fantastic job as the ref. Uh, I you know I've actually suggested a couple times over uh, that Red Shizuno get considered for the Observer Hall of Fame because he's a very famous ref in Japan with mm-hmm. New Japan. But one criticism that I always hear about him is that he does not do well when things go off script. Mm-hmm. Paul Turner was the exact opposite there. He, he as soon as Paige went down, Turner checked on him, noticed that he was unconscious and just, or completely woozy, but unable to continue and just stop the match immediately. Got the doctor involved. That's exactly what a referee needs to do in that spot. There's no need to like, let him try to continue the match because mm-hmm. he was, he would not have been in any condition to do that, especially with a possibility of a major neck injury involved. Uh, but yeah, they handled this very well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it was important to note that this happened with nine minutes left in the show. So as the show continues to play out, um, it, they're obviously doing this whole thing off the cuff, and it was a little disjointed, and you can't oh, expect sure. perfect production. But I thought they did a really good job of continuing their storylines, and Moxley came out and said, uh, I, I hope and pray that Hangman Page recovers 100%. This is a dangerous game that we play, and you've got to have the guts to play it. You've got to put everything on the line as you step into the ring. And then he calls out MJF. If MJF, you want to prove just who you say you are, you get yourself to the ring right now. MJF comes out with the poker chip, hands it to Regal, and then he ends up bowing out of the ring. And this is where we kind of see one step closer to babyface MJF. These people know I'm a man. I'm going to cash that chip in, but when I do, I want you at 110%. I want to make sure they beat you clean in the center of the ring. There's no doubt I'm cashing my chip in at full gear. For the first time in my life, I'm going to earn it. Yeah, uh, this was awesome. Um, it opens up a lot of uh, storyline implications of him saying that and taking that path. Uh, he could win and be, you know basically be a babyface. Uh, he could lose and it could continue the storyline of him like talking a lot of trash and not being able to deliver. Uh, it's very interesting to follow, I think. Uh, but I thought this was considering the especially considering the circumstances uh, they handled it. Uh, they they as performers, they did a great job. 
I also just want to point out that I'm going to take my victory lap that he's going to do the RVD thing to John Cena at Extreme Rules. Or sorry, yep. one night stand. Uh, wrong, wrong, stupid pay per view. Um, <laughs> yeah, victory lap completed. That's right. I, You're right. I, I was right, and that'll be the first time and maybe the last you'll ever hear that. Um, Rampage. Uh, it's Friday, and you know what that means. Um, B show. B show. Um, really, um, nothing. God. Nothing worth noteworthy. <laughs> nothing I mean, noteworthy the, here. as far you did get a segment teasing like Kingston and Pac having issues down the road, but like, man, you know, there is no great segments. I mean, neither Rose stealing Jade's car, and then Jade saying she's not leaving the ring until she gets the belt back, but then immediately getting up to leave the ring. Um, that sure was a thing. Um, there wasn't an, even a great match on here. Like, I thought the main event of Orange Cassidy ten and uh, Roosh was like pretty good, but like. You know, this day and age, a three and a quarter star match ain't going to get you that far. Um, Willow Nightingale got announced as uh, all elite, and then it was immediately rushed out of the ring by Jade Cargill. It, it kind of, they probably could have done that in a way that would make Jade look like a more meaningful baby face rather than just kind of cowering as she and the two baddies come out. But yeah, this was, uh, of all the shows that have existed, this was one of them. Yeah, um, it, I don't. I don't. I'm not even inspired to really say anything about it. You know, beyond what I already have. Like, it, who cares? Like, re, they need to give us a reason to watch Rampage, and right now, they haven't given us one. Um, no. And it kind of leads into our our one question uh, from the Voices of Wrestling Discord, and that comes from NC Kyle. If AEW gets on HBO Max, what's the first thing you're going to rewatch? And then will you guys cover a weekly ROH show if they get television? Fred, I love your response. I think I'd rather watch the ROH show than Rampage, to be honest. I might Alvarez my way through the ladder. Yeah, that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, I, let's start with that first question, Fred. The HBO Max, um, if they end up getting that streaming service. I, I said last week, I think the first thing I'm going to go back and rewatch is going to be... Uh, Pac versus uh, at Kenny Omega, the 30 minute Ironman match that and the first dynamite because that first dynamite and then just comparing it to where the production is today, I think it'd be a really fun watch. Um, what would be the first things that you kind of want to go look back at? I think I'd like to sit down and uh, watch uh, the Lucha brothers and young bucks from all out in 2019. Uh, I was in the building for that match, which was incredible, but I'd love to be able to see it with the full presentation on TV. Um, just, a, a, what, I mean, I haven't been to that many shows live, unfortunately, just due to, you know, work and stuff, but that was an amazing, absolutely all time top tier match. Um, but I would love to just see how that came across on TV. It, I'll tell you, having watched it live myself, it came through great. That was fun and stupid and ridiculous all yeah. in the best ways. It's really hard to actually paint the picture of how stupid <laughs> young bucks and Lucha brothers match was, but considering you were in the building for it, I think it's going to look, it may even look better on yeah. TV just because you're going to get better angles and better camera shots and yada, 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 but you're not going to be able to get that atmosphere back. Right. Uh, and then uh, will we cover our ROH show? I think that's yet to be determined, but I think it's likely Fred that we will just because it ends up being uh, kind of a part of this universe. 
and there's going to be so much cross promotion between the two. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would definitely watch that for sure every week. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I would definitely prioritize it over Rampage um, because I mm-hmm. think there'd be storylines on uh, the ROH show that would be more interesting using higher level stars. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that does happen, you know, I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, YouTube shows, Renee Paquette was on Hey EW. Um, I did not get a chance to watch that. Um, did you get a chance to check it out? Cause I know she is a fun talker. It was a uh, very enjoyable, uh, she and RJ city riffed on the fact that she was coming in and RJ city was playing up that he was afraid she was going to take his spot, uh, <laughs> mainly at the beginning and the end of the show, but it was fun. It was a, a straighter interview than some other ones he's done, but still with the RJ City goofiness. So again, if that's your that's your thing, uh, check it out. Yeah, and then next week on Dynamite, we've got Swerve in Our Glory versus FTR for that number one contendership for the EW Tag Team Championships. Jamie Hader versus Riho, which will be a very interesting contrast of styles. Um, Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia versus Claudio Castagnoli and Yuta or Wheeler, Utah, and then Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara. And that's, it's going to be a very Blackpool combat club versus Jericho appreciation society uh, show. And not a whole lot to write home about, but I, I, I think this could end up being a really good dynamite just because of the four matches we currently have announced. Yeah, it looks really good on paper and uh, hopefully it'll be, it'll all deliver. But I think that, I, I do think that FTR match could be really special. I kind of got to the point where I was getting down on FTR despite their great pair of matches with the Briscoes because, you know, they haven't been doing too much recently. And then I watched their Royal Quest match against uh, Aussie Open, and that was amazing. Oh, I still need to go and watch that. Oh, that's because... like a top 10 match on the year for me. So that excites R- me. Really good. That excites me a lot, Fred. And. With that, and unless we ended up forgetting anything, I think that is our show here for the day, which this company is is staying hot considering all the drama. We hopefully have the elite coming back soon, which is only going to make things better. But it's it's been pretty awesome that even though the elite and CM Punk have been gone, this company has still been as quality as it is. Yeah, they've really kept everything uh, rolling cleanly. Uh, the shows have been have not been affected by anything, and I think this next uh, Dynamite will be another very good one. Absolutely, and you can find us on Twitter at GoodBadHungi, and that is spelled H-U-N-G-E-E. You can uh, hit us up by email at HungiPod at gmail.com, and you can always make sure you ask us questions, either of those two platforms, or on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Um, Look, this is this has been really fun, and we look forward to continuing to talk about this fun, entertaining company. And the Vikings are still five and one, Fred. They did not lose on the bye week this week, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, it feels very paper tigerish to me, or paper lion, I guess, uh, to me. But I guess we'll see going forward. Oh, it feels that way. Just go read all my stuff on the Vikings wire. It's I have no idea what this team is, and I don't think they do either. Uh, there is one thing I want to plug before we go, which is not mine or ours, but uh, the Wrestling 101 is a new series that's being done on Voices of Wrestling um, by, uh, oh, shoot, it's Kevin Hare and... I'm Robin Reed. Pull, Robin Reed, thank you. I was trying to 
uh, stall. But what they're doing is they put together a list of the 101 matches you should see as a wrestling fan, just so you can be able to point to all these different, uh, you have the knowledge about all these different aspects of wrestling. It's not a list of the 101 greatest matches ever. It's not intended to be that, but it's just 101 very different matches covering a wide range from the first match they listed was uh, Kintsuke Sasaki against Kenta Kobashi back in 2005 for Noah, which is an all-time top-level match. And then uh, you go on to stuff like the Mick Foley Undertaker Hell in a Cell match, uh, Stan Hansen against Andre the Giant in a New Japan World back in the, I think that's the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Um the time bomb death match between Onita and Terry Funk, uh, the Golden Lovers against Dan Shoku D- Dino and Yoshihiko, you know the infamous wrestling uh, blow up doll, and then finally Fire Road, which was uh, Kasai and Matsunaga against uh, Nick Gage and John Zadig back in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, it's just very very different stuff, uh, but it's a very interesting way to look at wrestling, and it's a great excuse to read and watch uh, matches that you haven't seen before. So I'm using that to fill in some gaps in my knowledge. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you pointed out that this isn't a list of the 101 greatest matches. It's ones that you need to see. And what was really cool about it is um, in our uh, office Slack, there's a dedicated channel to it, and they ask for wide ranges of opinions on what should be included, why should it be included, and there were a lot of really, really good and important matches that, that still didn't make it. They took the time and they put a lot of energy into making sure that they had matches covering every area, oh, yeah. every time frame, style. And this those first six matches that you mentioned were spectacles. And like I, I think one of the ones that you could have included that wasn't was Antonio Inoki versus Muhammad Ali. It's... There are just special types of matches that even though they don't necessarily qualify as great per se, they're necessary to really understand the business of professional wrestling and how a build and the illusion of uh, complexity or um, the illusion of actual danger, like in that time bomb death match or the lack thereof in that, uh, that fire uh, death match with uh, Kasai and Gage. Like it's just important to understand all all different ways of promotion and utilizing wrestling in their talents. And I think Kevin and Robin have done a tremendous job. And I think everybody's really going to enjoy this series. And even though there's going to be some disagreements, like you're not going to have like every single Okada title match. You're not going to have all three from versus Kenny Omega. You're like there are some wrestlers that don't even appear on here, even though their stuff is just tremendous. There are some that'll appear on here four or five times. Like it, everything depends on what it is and why it's viewed as more important than something else. And they did a tremendous job of narrowing it down. And they they didn't use egos. They just used crowdsourcing with people who care, who have watched this stuff, and then they used their own excellent intellect to build this. And I think everybody's going to really enjoy the finished product. Yeah. They really, I mean, they put a lot of work into it. I mean, not only is there like a link to each of these chosen matches, but there's also some uh, suggested matches to go along with it. If you like the, you know, what one of the matches they chose and several paragraphs describing like what the match was and why they chose it for this. So great stuff. Very good stuff. stuff. Um, make sure you keep an eye on that on voiceswrestling.com uh, and on the Twitter account at Voices Wrestling. 
for all of that and our shows to be posted. Um, wrestling 101 also has its own website, wrestling101.com. So uh, you the, can, the wrestling 101. The wrestling101.com. You can check out everything that they posted so far. And they, I'm sure that everything that they have will continue to backlink other pieces of it. But until then, from Fred and myself, thank you very much for listening. And Skull Vikings. Have a good one. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.